Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're back. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. I'm Chad Withrow. Thanks to Jonathan Hutton. For hopping on from Tampa, he's there emceeing a charity event for Logan Ryan. He'll be back with us on Wednesday. Huge weekend across college football and the NFL. We've been recapping that throughout the day. Bobby Carpenter may be joining us now, may be joining us a little bit later. We just saw him hop on the Zoom, so he may be hopping on with us a little bit earlier, uh, early on the show. We've got Tim Brando coming up later on the show as well. Uh, We'll talk a lot of college football today. And then the final hour of the show, Mark Harris of OutKick. We'll talk about the Ryder Cup. Um, I love the European Ryder Cup for this reason. When the Ryder Cup interferes with football season on the weekend on Saturday and Sunday and it's square up against it, that's not an advantageous television spot for the Ryder Cup to be in. But when it's played in Europe and you can watch, you know, starting at 6 a.m., and I'm an early riser every day, even on the weekend, and I can watch three, four hours of Ryder Cup coverage before watching football, that's a beautiful thing. So I had a chance to watch a a lot of Ryder Cup over the weekend from Rome. Unfortunately for the Americans, not a great showing. I know Zach Johnson, their captain, said they were battling illness um, throughout the, the, the weekend. They got off to a terrible start. They got a little bit better. At one point, I think it was 10 and a half to five and a half. And then singles came around, and the Europeans ended up taking care of business and winning a Ryder, uh, the Ryder Cup, avenging the loss from two years prior at Whistling Straits where the Americans mopped up the Europeans. And the Americans still have not won on European soil since 1993. So the Europeans take care of business in that one. Um, we're going to be joined by Bobby Carpenter, I think, here coming up momentarily. But I want to get into... Taylor Swift, just for a second. And no, I don't want to spend an exorbitant amount of time on Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey because, quite frankly, it's lost its luster. It was a great two-week run, America. It really was. Networks, you had your fun, showing Taylor Swift all the time. She went to two straight games, one home for the Chiefs, one away. I found it interesting that she wore the Chiefs gear at Arrowhead Stadium, but she went neutral in New York or she lives in New York when she was at the Jets game. But I thought last night was a law of diminishing returns on the Taylor Swift love and showing her at all times. It was not the same effect as the week prior in Kansas City. And we saw every angle. You're seeing a number of them right now. Oh, by the way, the guy to the left of Taylor Swift is one Ryan Reynolds. You may know him as Deadpool. Uh, NBC apparently didn't even know who Ryan Reynolds was when they're showing Taylor Swift walk in and you've got Deadpool and Wolverine flanking her left and right walking in with her last night. Didn't matter because it was all about Taylor Swift and all about the relationship with Travis Kelsey. So it was fun while it lasted. It was a fun two weeks, but the Taylor Swift circus with the NFL and coverage with networks, it's going downhill and we're not going to see as much of it anymore. 
Someone who's not going downhill is Bobby Carpenter. He's on with us right now. Uh, Bobby's on to talk some college football, does a great job talking that sport with us every week. We can talk about anything else. We could probably talk about Taylor Swift if we asked him to, but we're not going to ask him about that. Bobby, big weekend of college football we all just witnessed. Appreciate you hopping on with us. Hey, my pleasure, Withrow. Uh, you know, obviously, man, you get to take a look at Taylor Swift out there with uh, Travis Kelsey. I mean, who doesn't want more of that? I know that's something that you're t- tuning into these NFL games to watch. Oh, yeah, those diehard NFL fans. They, they're basically just one big Swifty. No, that's what they want more than anything else is Taylor Swift coverage. Hey, how about Michigan th- this week? Really impressed. We've seen how hard it is to win on the road, even when the opponent's not great. But I thought Michigan handled business on the road at Nebraska, unlike we've really seen a team go on the road and do so far this year. Impressed with Jim Harbaugh's squad. What would you make of that? And on the flip side, boy, Nebraska has no offense. Yeah, most of the Big Ten West has limited offense, if any at all. And Jim Harbaugh did a heck of a job, came back. Obviously, they navigated the waters without him. And that offense is humming. They do it a little bit differently. I mean, they're not the team that throws it you know, 45 times a game. They like to have their big plays through running the football, so that makes a lot of sense. And defensively, they've been pretty impressive. I know Nebraska doesn't have a whole lot of offense to write home about, but you know, Michigan still went out there, got stops. They got Blake Corum going. You know, uh, and they've got a plethora of running backs to be able to touch the ball. But this season's going to come down to J.J. McCarthy and how well he plays. You know, a couple of weeks ago, he had, a, you know, three, two or three interceptions, I believe. You know, when he has a clean sheet, they're pretty darn good and pretty tough to beat because not only can he do it with his arm, he also can do it with his legs, which we saw with some of his scrambles on Saturday. Yeah, and the flip side of that uh, with the, the road game was Georgia's performance at Auburn. Auburn had a great chance, up 10 nothing at one point. Great chance to pull off the upset and knock off the two-time defending national champion, but Brock Bowers got in the way. And what more can we say about him, Bobby? He is a true weapon, maybe the best pure player in college football. He gets the big touchdown late for the Bulldogs. But Georgia has looked very susceptible in the early part of this season and really top to bottom in the SEC. You can poke holes in all the top teams in that conference this year. Yeah, I loved LSU coming into this season, yeah. and they've struggled mightily. They haven't been great. Uh, obviously, huge comeback, couldn't ultimately get it done. You start talking about Georgia, they're a flawed team. I think part of it is uh, this year, Withrow, is the fact that I don't know if there's a team that you would say is even close to flawless, and, and maybe there is. Maybe that's Oregon out west. Maybe that's Washington if they weren't on the Pac-12 network and people could actually watch and consume some of their product. You look at USC, I and mean, they've got a great offense, but limited defense like they've always had. You know, Georgia's still working through the fact they have a young quarterback. And when you have so many guys leave for the NFL year after year, I don't care how well you recruit, attrition will eventually come to get you. I think we're seeing that a little bit now with Georgia. And that's not to say that they're not going to be a really good team, but they're going to have to continue to improve and get better. And the good news for, you know, uh, Bulldogs fans is the fact that you're improving and you're still winning. And so they can kind of ease through this schedule. I'll tell you this, I mean, the Kentucky Wildcats look pretty darn good with Mark Stoops after what they've done to Florida. And I, I went back and looked at this, Withrow. You know when the last time Florida was beaten three years in a row by Kentucky? I, I only know this because I talked about it last week. It was the late 40s, I think, right? 48 to 51. Yep, that was it. It was the four-year stretch right there. 
And now you look at Bob Stoops or Mark Stoops. I think he's won four of six and he's won three in a row. I mean, it, it is remarkable with what he's been able to do. And I would tell any team that's looking for a coach right now, I mean, and maybe he loves it there in Kentucky, but let's be honest. I mean, you're always going to be second fiddle to basketball, no matter how much he kicks and screams and how good they are because they're very good. But I mean, I would back up the Brinks truck to whatever it takes because he's been in a very tough conference, played a tough schedule, and then they fade sometimes at the end of the year. But he's not playing on a level playing field with all these other teams with the amount of resources and everything that many of the schools in the SEC have. Well, and you mentioned Brinks truck, so let's uh, we'll segue right into this. Michigan State, are they going to back the Brinks truck up again the way they did for Mel Tucker, or do they feel like they made a mistake there and they learned from it and they're going to be a little bit more conservative of what they're going to pay their next coach? What are you hearing in regards to that job, Bobby? How good of a job is it, and who do you think they should target? Well, I think it's a, I think it can be a good job, and they have people that are willing to pour resources into it. And when you have a couple of alumni who own NBA franchises that are willing to invest in your football program, well, yeah, that's going to help immensely. Uh, they went after Mel Tucker. I mean, they paid him a ton off of some preliminary success. Maybe looking back on it now, eliminate the maybe. It was a little premature, and I think that's why they were searching so hard to find a way to try to get out of that contract with Mel because they'd rather divert those resources to their next coach. And, you know, it's funny that you, you bring that up after we're talking about Mark Stoops. Like, if I'm them, I, I go after him. I go after him in a big way. He's from Youngstown, Ohio. Maybe he wants that job. Maybe he doesn't. I don't, I don't know definitively that Michigan State is a better job, but I know with the Big Ten, you know, being shuttering divisions, I think it's a much better job now than it's possibly been in previous years. That's going to be interesting to see Kentucky the rest of the way because um, the schedule is going to get harder, obviously, starting this week uh, with, with Georgia. But a really good start for, for Mark Stoops. I, I thought a really important bounce back for Notre Dame, Bobby, in this one. You know, they give up the late score again, but they're able to get the ball back, go down and score, and beat Duke, who's been a great story the early part of this year. What, what did you make of that win for Notre Dame after that emotional loss to Ohio State at home the week before? Well, it's, it's huge for Notre Dame because they're playing in primetime every night. They're playing late games. And when they're on the road, you got to travel back. You lose an emotional one at home. And that's incredibly difficult. And anybody that will say that it's not a big deal to play those late-night games and then lose when everything has been built into it and you put your whole season around it, like – that's tough. And so it was important that they bounce back. They were able to do that. And believe me, it was almost like the Uno reverse card was hit on against Ohio State. You know, they controlled much of the game. All of a sudden, Duke takes control late. And then you have to have you know, that miraculous drive in the fourth and 16 scramble by Sam Hartman to put them in position to be able to score. Oh, and then by the way, you're on the road at Louisville this week at night. And then you have USC coming to town in two weeks, also a night game. So a lot of travel, a lot of evening games. And the reason that's tough, it jacks up your sleep schedule for players. You feel like you're behind. And as coaches, guys, after games on Saturday went through, they don't go home and just smash beers and hang out and watch college football. They usually go and they'll have recruiting obligations. And then they go and start breaking down film for the next week. And so it, it's important for them to be able to do that when you always play night games. That is significantly harder. So Notre Dame with Marcus Freeman – you saw what happened last year with Marshall. It was important that didn't happen again. It stinks to see Riley Leonard obviously go down the way he did because I think Duke could have potentially been a 10-win team this year. Without him, though, it's going to be really tough to probably get to that mark. 
Life is so much better for guys on our side of it now, Bobby, because we can just smash beers while watching the games. Don't have to wait till post-game uh, to smash beers. Even when those guys can't, we'll smash the beers for them. Bobby Carpenter talking college football with us here on Hot Mike. I am amazed by Iowa's commitment to boring football, Bobby. Uh, I, I got to ask you about this because it is remarkable that they're not even trying. They're saying this is who we are. We're not going to change who we are. We don't care if we're running 30-something plays a game. Uh, We are just going to play boring football. I love the preseason stipulation of scoring 25 points per game or more for Brian Ferentz to keep his job. It's just incredible to me when you see all this innovation across the sport and teams trying to do anything to be exciting and have a dynamic offense. Here you have the Iowa Hawkeyes sticking to their convictions and deciding, nope, that's not for us. We're going to play a 1986 style, and we're just going to do the best we can with it. See, I don't have a problem with the style of football as long as it's effective and efficient. The problem is is that style for them is no longer effective and efficient. They don't have an offensive line that can go out and overwhelm you. They don't have running backs that can make guys miss and have explosive gains. You know, They do have some decent tight ends. The problem is Luke Lachey, very talented fourth-year player for him. He breaks or dislocates his ankle, so he's done. And so that was basically the extent of their passing game. By the way, Cade McNamara looks like he's out for yeah. the season now. So if you thought it was bad before, wait till you see this thing now because that was their emphasis of bringing in Cade McNamara to, to be able to push the ball down the field, and now those days are done. And I honestly don't think Kirk Ferentz knows another way. I mean, this is what he does, and it is beneficent. It was before. It's no longer currently. I don't think that's what they're doing. It's simply due to the fact that they don't have any playmakers anywhere else. You could run that style and still be good. It's just you have to have guys and you have to be able to make plays. And the reason they do it is they try to keep their defensive exposure to a minimum because that's what carries their team. And they don't want those guys to get worn down. And so I understand why they're doing it, but they need to try to find a way, like you said, to create some more big plays because it is impossible to win the way that they are with the playmakers they have. I wonder if Brian Ferentz is walking into the meeting room today saying, hey, Dad, can we go down to 20 a game now that we lost our starting quarterback? I think that's fair. That's reasonable. 25, too much. Let's go down to 20 a game. Hey, in the Pac-12, they're not worried about scoring just 20 a game. They're scoring more than that, especially USC offensively. But the big question lies with the defense of the Trojans, Bobby. And they it reared its ugly head again on Saturday against Colorado. Are you a believer in USC's national championship hopes, even though their defense looks suspect once again? I'm not, because you've got to be able to get a stop eventually. And their stop was an onside kick that they recovered at the end of the game, or else Colorado, if they get the ball back, I mean, I think people are full intent on them going down and scoring. And make no mistake about it, I think at that point, Deion Sanders is going for two. Like, he's not going to – he's not laying up, dude. He's balmy. Let's go. We're going at the green, and that's that's how we're going to play this thing. So, I this is the same U.S. team, USC team that they've been. Like this is why they've struggled to beat Utah because Utah looks like Iowa wants to. They can be explosive. They can have some big plays. But what they'll really do is they'll just grind into you and lean on you and play really good stinking defense and be physical and they'll wear you down. They'll control the clock and eventually they'll get a couple stops. And then you're going to be chasing and they're going to be dictating tempo. So that's why you look at Utah's won the last two Pac-12 championships. Now, I understand they just lost, you know, in a tough one on Saturday, Friday night. But that's still been without Cam Rising. So if they get them back, 
I think they give USC problems. I think Oregon looks like much more of a complete team than USC. I mean, you saw what they did in a comparable game to uh, Colorado. Now, granted, it was in it was at Oregon. It wasn't at home for Colorado. So you, you take that with a grain of salt. And I think Washington, if you want to get into a pure track meet and try to race you to 70, I think Washington is just as equipped to be able to do that. So then it comes down to, do you make a mistake? Is there a penalty? Is there something that goes wrong? Who throws an interception? It's just not a game that I would like to be a part of or like to watch as a fan because it's, there's no margin for error on the offense. Bobby, you're right. Dion definitely would have gone Roy McAvoy from 10 Cup and Kevin Costner and, and gone for the gone for the green in the hole and that, that opportunity to go for two. Hey, appreciate you, Bobby. Uh, love having you on the show on Mondays to recap the college football weekend. Have a great week. We'll talk to you again next week. Yes, sir. You enjoy it, man. And uh, give my best to Hutton when he gets back. Will do. Hutton's having a better time than us right now down on the beach in Tampa getting ready for that Logan Ryan event. We're getting ready for Timmy B, our guy, Tim Brando, Fox Sports. He's going to join us next to give us another side of this Colorado story that maybe most of media is missing out on. That's next. This is Hutton Mike with Hutton and Withrow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. I'm Chad Withrow. Hutton will be back with us on Wednesday. Right now, we've got our guy, Timmy B, Tim Brando, the great broadcaster with Fox Sports on with us right now. I like that pause right there between great. Could have said a lot of different things with Tim Brando's greatness, but he's on with us right now. He is a great broadcaster. And Timmy B is the envy of all of sports right now because he gets to call games out west, which is now the epicenter of college football, even though the Pac-12 is dissolving. And you get good game (laughs) after good game out there, Tim. And you got to see two more good teams this past week with the Oregon State's win over Utah. Yeah, you know, if, I think if we had a Pac-12 game on Fox this weekend, we don't. But if we did, that's where they'd send Spencer and me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because I just I just found out about our schedule for um, Saturday week, and we're going to be going back out to uh, uh, Corvallis, Oregon, for Oregon State and UCLA on the, uh, on the 14th. So I'm thrilled that we're doing these games. And by the way, it's not the first league that I helped put to bed. Uh, I did the USFL in its final year the first time around. <laughs> so show me a league that's going out of business. I'll show you Tim Brando is there to help bury it. Uh, but it's 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 really great to be covering uh, games out there because, as you know, the league is right now the best in, the, in America. I, I'm not even getting pushback from SEC fans about the level of balance, the level of great quarterbacks. And now you're seeing even the line play. You can say, well, the line of scrimmage is still maybe questionable. I don't think that's necessarily true. Uh, Oregon State and Utah are two of the toughest teams uh, that you could possibly have at the line of scrimmage. And they they played a game that was not necessarily aesthetically pleasing, but we certainly had a big audience for it uh, last Friday night. 
And I was thrilled to get to do that game. It was number 10 against number 19. And uh, Utah was knocked from the ranks of the unbeaten. And, and I think Oregon State sent a message that they're here to stay. So uh, it's, it's just a fun, fun league. I, I think when you look at UCLA with one loss and you look at Utah with one loss, they're not out of it. And, and all these other teams that are undefeated are certainly uh, very much in the mix. And, yeah, they'll probably cannibalize each other towards the end. I agree with that assessment. Might be tough for them to get a team in the CFP as a result. But they certainly have a fighting chance with this many good games and this many good teams. And Utah doing this without their starting quarterback, Cam Rising, yeah, also yeah. very impressive. Yeah. Uh, speaking of quarterback play in the Pac-12 and how good it's been, we saw two of them go head-to-head this past weekend with Caleb Williams at USC, Shador Sanders at Colorado. Great comeback attempt by the Buffaloes wow. in that yeah. game. And I, yeah. I know, Tim, there's been a lot made about Deion Sanders in Colorado and what they've become from a national media perspective. I know you believe, though, that maybe some are missing the point about Dion's mm. true impact on the sport. Oh, yeah, they definitely are. I want to thank, while I'm with you now, uh, Chad, I want to thank Joe Morgan uh, for the column that uh, he, he talked to me about last week, and I think it was uh, put out on Friday uh, at foxnews.com. It was uh, very fair, and I think hit on all the major points that I will hit on again here with you, and that is um, – those that want to make this and have been uh, appealing to the lowest common denominator in media and just making it about race are completely missing the point. Uh, 75% of the players that are uh, in college football are black. Uh, the fact that there are black coaches, uh, black head coaches, uh, that was a battleground conversation with the Black Coaches Association years ago, which which I, I'm happy to say Spencer Tillman and I were on the forefront of. and. We're talking about it for years while we were at CBS. Um, but Dion's doing this, uh, and it's not, you know, to say that Colorado is certainly Black America's team. I mean, that was on four or five different websites that you'd, you would figure it might be on, politically slanted. But then you saw, uh, I think, a few sports websites go in that direction, too, legitimate websites. And I think that's just... Um, that's appealing to the lowest common denominator. To make it about race is to, in my opinion, gloss over uh, this amazing historic run that that Dion has had. And regardless of the outcomes of the game, both at Oregon and the loss at home to USC, which we can get into a little bit later, the specifics of it, uh, he's already won. I mean, he has. Uh, they are still the most talked about team in America. Uh, they're not ranked, and they don't deserve to be. They're not ranked in my poll that I just put out this morning either. But my goodness, the turnaround here is off the charts. And if they happen to get to six wins, I think they will get to six. Uh, let's face it, Travis Hunter's not there right now, and they'll get him back eventually. So I think that they could sneak in a, a few more wins in the Pac-12 at home. But what he's done in transforming the game has highlighted – some of the issues that some of the other teams, Blue Bloods, okay, are having that no longer appear dominant. When we look out today at the college football top 25, you're not saying there's a top four or five and then a breaking point and we go to another tier. No, you're not. There are no dominant teams. And we're talking about as many as 15 to 16 teams right now that fan bases could be considering that we got as good a shot as anybody 
at the national championship. This is about the landscape flattening out, which I've been talking about for the last few years. We've been close to it, but we haven't been so close that it's affected the Alabamas, the Ohio States, okay, the Georgias, the the, the, the Blue Bloods had been unaffected. Well, now they are, okay? Even Georgia, with their unbeaten record against that schedule, who wouldn't be? And even Auburn had a shot at beating them, and Auburn's not very good, second tier in the SEC at best. Uh, and it were it not for their tight end, Bauer, they don't have a playmaker. Georgia doesn't deserve to be number one. They don't deserve to be within – five or six spots of number one, in my opinion. What Colorado has done is kind of fueling the point of transfer portal and NIL for everybody to see. And that is with the wealth of talent now being spread and coaches utilizing the portal, they are able to balance the playing field from what had been uh, the fertile ground of the blue blood in recruiting four and five stars only, and then holding on to those players and and through that, having this much space between them and the next tier, that's all gone now. And Dion's done this in one year's time, and he flipped it completely, something other coaches had never done. And I think that the issues, and you can see it, uh, and I pointed this out in, in Joe Morgan's article at foxnews.com, and I urge people to go and take a look at it uh, if you haven't read it already. Um, the bottom line is that a lot of veteran coaches – that aren't going there right now, <laughs> hint, hint, Dabo Sweeney at the top of that list, few others, right? Nick Saban's gone there, but maybe not enough, certainly not enough at quarterback this year. These guys have a level of jealousy and envy for what's going on with, with, with Dion, and they're not going to say it publicly, but you can see it. You can see it, and maybe you'll hear it when they're getting ready to play Colorado, okay? And it's getting to them. It's bothering them. When you see these coaches having quakes during post-game interviews, going nuts because of the pressure that's being put on them at places like Ohio State, Alabama, and other places, that's a byproduct of this new pressure that Dion's system and others like him is putting on the college game. And you can either embrace it and move forward, understanding you better play this game, or if you fight it, you will eventually lose and you'll be done because the boat has sailed and you're not going to bring it, be able to bring it back into the dock. Well, and well said, Tim. And to your point, for those that want to play the race card on this and, and say, you know, this is, this is the new team for black America or however you want yeah. to phrase it. Yeah. I think it's really mm-hmm. small minded to pretend it that is. white players wouldn't want to play for Dion also when they hear <laughs> exactly. how he speaks, right? I'm thinking, yeah. I mean, when yeah. you, you hear the guy talk, and he's kind of new school and old school in his approach in a lot of ways and no nonsense right. about certain things. I'm thinking there are plenty of white players in America that are high school Absolutely. players or in the transfer portal Absolutely. that would love to go play for Dion. I think people are missing the boat on that one also. Um, no doubt about it. Are we missing the boat? I don't know if we're missing the boat on it because people are talking about them. But you talked about all those blue blood teams and the running joke every year is, is Texas back? And now they're in the mix this year where so many Blue Bloods look a little bit susceptible or a little more susceptible to going down this year. So I'll ask you, is Texas back? Is this a viable team that can win a national championship this year? Well, I was certainly wrong about them in the preseason. I'll be the first to admit it. I admitted it to you uh, and your partner the last time I was with you. 
Yeah, they they would appear to be that, but am I willing to say they're all the way? No, I'm not. <laughs> and the reason I'm not is because I, I need to see them against Oklahoma in the Red River rivalry. Okay, I need to know that, that they are because as as great as the Pac-12 is this year, okay, the Big 12 has actually been a disappointment. Okay, I thought I thought Baylor would be better. I thought TCU would be better. Kansas State, I thought would be better. Um, they're not, and Texas Tech, I thought was a diamond in the rough. And all of those teams have not measured up to my expectations yet this year. But the Pac-12 is every bit is is dominant at the top, but yet at the bottom, I mean, there are no also rans down there. Okay, even their poor teams are playing well. I mean, Cal almost beat Auburn, a team that took Georgia to the very limit. Okay. So the PAC 12 is good from the bottom all the way to the top. Uh, no, I, I, we're, we're not sure of any of these teams right now, Chad. I mean, we're not, but based on who they've beaten their level of performance in those victories and the talent that I see on the field, I think they deserve to be number one. I think they deserve to be number one over Florida state who arguably has better wins. Okay. Um, Although the LSU win may not be quite as impactful after they're getting, what was it, 50 hung on them by Ole Miss and, you know, 45 hung on them by Florida State. I think A&M into last year got 38. I mean, Brian Kelly's got to check his defense and see if he's got guys at DBU, they like to call LSU, that are willing to tackle anything. How about tackling somebody? <laughs> um, so, but I mean, Texas right now, to me, uh, I have them at the number one position because of their wins and how impressive they've appeared in those victories. You know, Kansas hung with them for about three quarters the other day, but eventually they wore down. And Texas's level of talent took the game over, and they wound up, I think, covering the spread and and winning convincingly in the fourth quarter. And I, and I think Leipold is one of the best coaches in America, and I think Kansas is pretty good. You know, they're going to win probably seven or eight games, at least seven, probably eight games in the Big 12 this year. So I, I like what I see in Texas. Um, the win at Alabama is important. It, it stimulated them. But I would I would tell the Texas people that are still cheering for that. Remember, Brian Kelly's two-point conversion last year got LSU uh, preseason ranked in the top five. And look what's happened to them. Okay. Maybe that was a bit of a mirage when when LSU got that win. Alabama is not all that. They're not Alabama anymore. They're a one-dimensional team. And um, uh, yeah, they've they've they won impressively their last time out against a team that's not very good. And um, I think that more than likely A and M is going to give them a hard time this week. Uh, I, I really believe that. I think A and M is has raised its level a little bit of late, and uh, we'll see what happens when those two get at it. But I, cer- I certainly believe Alabama's going to lose at least one more time uh, in the SEC. Tim, got about a minute left here, but my wife is a, a miserable Nebraska fan right now, so I had a chance to watch <laughs> yeah. some of Michigan's beat down in Nebraska and Lincoln, Lincoln over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Super impressed with this Michigan team and the balance oh, they showed great. in that game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this yeah. has got to be a team that – we're talking about nationally, currently second in the country, so clearly getting their flowers, so to speak, right now. But right. what do you think about this Michigan squad? Well, you know, I had them winning it all in the preseason, and I still do. My preseason picks are based on what I prognosticate 
will happen for the season. And the helmet you see over my shoulder, or as Vino used to say, the helmet. I want <laughs> when they bury me, I want to be in the Michigan helmet. Uh, That's a good Vino cook. Them. That's good. I I love them, uh, uh, and I think Michigan when they start playing the teams that they're uh, that they can really say say are tough opponents, they'll be ready for them. Uh, I think to go in and take care of business in Lincoln the way they did was impressive. Matt rules in his first year. They're clearly not there yet, but their schedule is about as weak, if not weaker than Georgia's. So they're a little bit of a paper two in the, in the college uh, football polls, whether it's the AP or the coaches poll, I dropped them to five. Uh, I, I think they're worthy of being that high, but only that because of who they played. I got to see more from them before I can prop them back up. Once I get into the season, Chad, I'm going to rank teams based on their performance last week. You know, you can move up in my poll or completely out based on one performance. Uh, USC, by example, I had way up there around three or four after I'd seen them early in the season. Then I saw them against Arizona State, a game Spencer and I had. I dropped them summarily. And last week, uh, that defense looked like the same one that couldn't stop uh, Utah on two occasions last year when they had Cam Rising. Yeah, and that is so, the nature of college football, think, week to week for sure. Nature. Hey, yeah. Tim, thanks so yeah. much. We're running out of time this time. We really appreciate you. You're the man. Happy to be with you, and I uh, always am here for you. Tim Brando, we'll be back, and we'll get back into some big headlines from the college football weekend. That's next. We're back, Hot Mike, with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. I am Chad Withrow. Fun show so far today. Looking back at a big weekend uh, across football, NFL, college, plenty of big storylines. What a great week of sports ahead also. We enter October, which means we are right in the thick. We've got five weeks down of college football already, four weeks down of the NFL. We're getting to the heart of the season, conference play, in college football, big matchups in the NFL, and Major League Baseball postseason starting this week with the wild card series. Great week of sports all around. A time to be excited, time to be happy about everything going on. And we'll celebrate all those things sports-wise here on Hot Mike throughout the week. And plenty to get into, including what was, I think, maybe the biggest win for Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss so far over the weekend. What a shootout between LSU and Ole Miss. I'm watching some Tennessee-South Carolina Saturday night flipping back and forth to this game, and every time I go back to it, it's another intense moment, a huge third or fourth down conversion, a team scoring a touchdown. Jaden Daniels looks good in this game. The LSU passing attack with Malik Neighbors looks awesome, and then it's Jackson Dart and Ole Miss coming right back and scoring. And when you look at Lane Kiffin and what he's accomplished at Ole Miss, he's done a very good job. But coming off of the week where Alabama look, looked wounded and looked susceptible to a loss at home, and Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss, after doing what Lane Kiffin always does, being smug, being a little bit sarcastic about who's calling defensive plays and whether or not this was Nick Saban's last year, they go down and get physically dominated by Alabama, much like pretty much every time Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin play Alabama. But to bounce back the next week and beat LSU and give them their second loss of the season, a preseason top 10 team, LSU, second loss of the season already, was really, really impressive for Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. 
Davey Hudson in studio with us right now to also talk about this game. Davey, this was a fun one. It start to finish, the back-and-forth nature of it. I, I had a blast watching this game. I mean, anytime 100 points get put up in a college football game, I'm going to be there to enjoy. And it Do you was... think Brian Ferentz enjoyed it, though? No. Maybe that's... the one guy in college football that watched that game and said, I don't like this, too many points, way too much uh, running up and down the field. Speaking of Brian Ferentz, Chad, I looked it up right now. Iowa is averaging 22.2 points per game. Way so... closer than I expected, yeah. by the way. Way they, closer. That, that uh, goose egg against Penn State's really going to ultimately, I think, be the – the deciding factor when it's all said and done. But yeah, for Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin, they were able to put together a really good game plan. And I mean, both these offenses were were humming. Uh, you look at it, Jaden Daniels and Jackson Dart, both uh, Jaden Daniels was slightly over 400 yards passing. Jackson Dart just slightly under 400 yards passing. But they were just fun to watch. And I mean, it was one of those, you just kind of knew how things were going to come down right to that wire. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, LSU had a chance on the final play to throw it in there. Yeah, it was fun to watch. And, and then post game. We had a lot of fun with a number of things that took place. Um, I don't even know what we get to first because there were two great moments on the field. Now, it started with another field storming. Then we we need to talk about the field storming now because it's gotten maybe a little bit out of hand. Uh, And the video that we're showing right now is an Ole Miss student just running on the field and just getting waylaid by an LSU player that he gets close to and runs into, and then he shouts an obscenity at him on his way off, which was the funniest part of the whole video. We can't play that part of it for you. Then the LSU player is trying to, is being held back going after the Ole Miss student. Um, Davey, I'm amazed the Ole Miss student running with the phone up, you know, celebrating into his phone on selfie mode with the video, and it looks like either holds on to the phone or gathers himself quickly and picks the phone back up. That's the most impressive part. I, I thought he was able to hold on the entire time, obviously taking a shot like he did. He's going to be wavering around a little bit as he composed himself. He, he looked stunned that he got hit, but of course you got a <laughs> drunk college kid running up to a guy that's suffering from a, a very emotional last-minute loss. And I'm sh- obviously you're going to say a few things that aren't going to make the player uh, exactly <laughs> thrilled that you're in his presence. So I... I, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if there's any uh, things to come up as far as punishment goes for that player. But again, this is what Greg Sankey and them are trying to cut down on. And you look at it from uh, the financial situation. But you, you, do you think, was this warranted for a field storming? They're the 13th ranked team in the country. No, it's not. It's not warranted for a field storming. And, and we're getting way too liberal with the field storming. Colorado has st- kind of had this trend going this year where they beat Colorado State and storm the field, which makes no sense. They were a three-touchdown favorite in the game. The Now, a year ago when Jermaine Burton sideswipes an unsuspecting female on the field, that's something that should be disciplined. We're going to look at it a little bit differently when a drunk frat boy is running on the field screaming, bleep LSU, and runs next to a player and gets hit by the player. Now, right or wrong, and I'm not saying the player's in the right in this or any of that, but that's the type of thing that we look at and people would say, this is the danger of the field storming. Is that guy sprinting around the field, filming himself like an idiot, then getting leveled by the LSU player. That's you, where the injury could happen. You referenced Jermaine Burton hitting a Tennessee student last season. Well, What are your thoughts when it's a security guard that does something similar? I think security guards have full – so the security guard that's the bouncer at the bar – you know, that's like looking for the fight, that's getting a little too handsy or throwing people downstairs and doing that. Sometimes that security guard can take it a little far. But I do think that when, if there's one or two people on the field, and we're going to watch the security guard here and review the tape, 
first off, this guy should play offensive guard in the NFL with some Boom, of his right abilities. Now, elbowing the girl in the, the cocktail dress that's running onto the field, probably not the way to go about it. <laughs> <laughs> and the best – she does, like, yell back at the guy also as, as she's getting hit. But when you see that many people, just give up. This is a give-up moment. Now, if it's one drunk person running on the field, Davey, I think you have full ability to spear them, to take them out by any means necessary, minus a weapon, take them out, get them down, get them off the field. When it's thousands of people storming onto the field, you sitting there like you've got, you know, you're the, you're the little Dutch boy with a finger in the dam and the water's rushing yep. over you, that's pointless. There's no need to be doing that. This this incident just kind of reminds me of like, so this is what Richard Jewell would probably be doing in this situation. That's what I kind of thought. You know, it's yep. like taking that the job too serious, going too far. Now, obviously, Richard Jewell, great man, saved a ton of people. But it's just, I, I don't know. I'm making light of the situation, but I, I oh, haven't heard. I, it, they're both funny. I don't think anybody was hurt in either one. Um, now, to my knowledge. Also, is that the greatest advertisement for alcohol ever? That kid's response to getting hit by the college football player, the large SEC football player that decks this little skinny kid, and he gets up like nothing <laughs> happened because he's so intoxicated. Now, he's going to feel it the next day, That's but I'm yeah. thinking, man, I, I never thought of alcohol as PED, but this is a performance-enhancing drug in this moment. When you can go dead sprint, get knocked on your ass, and jump right back up and then yell a profanity back at the player when you're running on the field and you're this kid, this kid is not in the best shape. And the guy who hits him is about three times his size. Boy, never felt better about alcohol yeah, than I watching that video. I, I don't know if an alcohol brand probably wants to go with uh, deal with tomorrow's consequences tomorrow. Yeah. Or today's consequences tomorrow. Yeah. It's- I remember one time me and my buddies, after a lot of drinks, decided I got home. This is, you know, probably early, mid-20s. Got home from the bar, and a buddy, uh, it was like an older house in Nashville, had a, a row of shrubs in his front yard, and we decided that we were just going to play football, like line up and go over the shrubs, like we're going over the top, okay. and have handoffs, and you know we're hitting the other guy across the line, but the goal was to jump over the shrubs. And I remember waking up the next day feeling like I went 10 rounds with Mike Tyson and not really remembering why, and then thought about it and said, oh, yeah, we drank a lot and then decided to hurl our bodies over shrubs. I'm scratched up all over from the shrubs. Not the best decision. And that's probably what that old Miss student yeah. is thinking also. You were like taking playing between the hedges to the next level. Yes, okay. exactly. Okay. This was a between the hedges type contest that was taking place. A wild night at Ole Miss. Big win for the Rebels. And all kidding aside, huge win for Lane Kiffin. We're, we were questioning Lane Kiffin a lot this past week for not getting over the hump in that big game. That's a big win for Ole Miss. We've seen it a number of times already this year. Home field advantage certainly matters in college football. We're seeing that time and time again so far this season. Auburn and Georgia, another example of that. Things can change, but we often talk about the SEC's dominance, but I was just pulling up their schedule, and if you look at it, moving forward, Ole Miss only has one ranked team left on their schedule as of right now. The SEC West is going to be interesting. I know we're going to talk a little bit more about that division later, but the last year of the divisions in the SEC, Bama looks really good again, and we know they got good players. A&M, got to factor them in. They, they look good over the weekend against Arkansas. Arkansas is out. 
Mississippi State's out. Ole Miss, A&M, Bama. LSU has the one conference loss right now. It's going to be interesting in the SEC West. A lot of fun to follow that. Davey, it's always interesting when a toy chicken causes a fight and an altercation. Things almost got out of hand in Knoxville Saturday night. Not because Tennessee got their vengeance and put a beat down on Spencer Rattler in South Carolina, just like even though Josh Heupel wouldn't talk about it, we all knew the Vols were out for blood on Saturday night. The fans were out for blood. And they exacted that, that vengeance against Spencer Rattler, holding him down to a season-low production-wise. They get the win. And then post-game, Javante Spragans, offensive lineman for Tennessee, who apparently makes a habit of this where he has a toy mascot of the opposing team. And if Tennessee wins, he goes and poses with said mascot. He got out a rubber chicken. I don't know if it was rubber or not, but a toy chicken to not taunt the Gamecocks directly, but apparently to go to the cameras. And Davey, South Carolina players took exception to this. Yeah, it looks like it's a uh, like a stuffed toy, you know, just like not even a rubber chicken, a stuffed. Yeah, you give your kid, you know, as like a like a stuffed tiger. I think he did it with uh, Spragans did this with LSU. He had a tiger there, but uh, it's one of those things to where obviously props people think you're often going too far whenever those are brought out. And this seemed to be the case. I mean, South Carolina, did that defense didn't really have anything that they were going to be able to say after the fact based off how they played. But I, I'm i fine with it. You know, you, I mean, talk the talk if, if you're backing yeah. it up on the field and Tennessee was able to do that. Well, our, our buddy Austin Price, who's been a, a guest on the show many times, also making a cameo in that video as the altercation takes place. It didn't lead to anything big. I would just – I'd wait till the, the opposing team's off the field. They don't hang around long after a loss, especially on the road. Uh, I don't think you have to go directly to the toy chicken once the game's over. You've got plenty of time. You can sing the alma mater. Then you can go and get the chicken once the players are off the field. If I just lost that way on the road, I'm probably not that excited about a guy immediately pulling a prop out below the bench of the seat and, and marching it around the field that way. So I get it from South Carolina side. Not a reason for World War III or anything, but maybe just wait. Maybe just wait until the team leaves the field. At least it didn't lead to fisticuffs like it did there at the end of Tennessee versus Florida. It, it didn't lead to you know someone getting knocked out, knocked down like that old Miss student when they took the field. We got to have a bigger discussion at some point about when and when not to storm the field. And I know every time somebody hears, oh, you're such a boomer. This is such a boomer argument. It's kids just having fun. I get it. I'm all for fun. I understand why field storming happens. And when we see that overhead shot of it taking place, it's incredible to look at. The optics of it is amazing. When performed the right way and when pulled off. But guess, there is a law of diminishing returns when yeah. we're storming the field every week. Well, oh, yeah, abs- absolutely. And it's one of those things. I know Colorado, the most previous example, where they stormed it back-to-back weeks. How often do you think – how much time should elapse between one field storming at a program to another field storming? Well, you mean just program to program? I, I don't think one program storming the field should have an impact on no, the no, other. No, 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 within, within that same program. So it's like, oh yeah, not happening multiple times. I think it should be at least a year. I think, I, you I think it go should be more than between. that. I mean, like I know a lot of SEC teams probably go once every five to ten years. Yeah, I would say no. I, I would. I'd say minimum one year, but I lean more three to five. And if you if you're good enough to do it to knock off the team worthy of the field storming, odds are you don't need to storm the field again 
in a year from then or months from then to prove how big of a win it was. But maybe that's just us. Also, no toy chickens until the team leaves the field. We've got no toy chickens. We've got no props for the next segment. But Disney Plus had some props for you to watch NFL. We'll discuss when we come back.